Before we look today at this marvelous narrative uh, in the Old Testament and look at four uh, truths that just jump off the page, very straightforward, this narrative, the peril that God's people face, the prayer of God's leader, and the way God answered the prayer, and then the praise of the people. It, it just breaks out beautifully. But I think we need a reminder uh, how many of you people run to Chronicles when you want to be encouraged? Uh, how many of you people ever read the Old Testament? Good, good. We're a people of both Testaments, aren't we? We, we believe both of them. Now, look, if you will, I just want to show you two things uh, before we look in the study. Second Timothy 3. I think we need to remind ourselves as we look at this narrative that God has something to say to us. Verse 16, classic verse on the Bible, and it says, all Scripture is boring. It is what? And it's really outspired. It's not God inhaling. Scripture was outhaling. He literally, God in the Greek, it's God breathed. So whether you know it or not, that book is alive. God breathed it out. He got human beings to write, but he was the wind and the force driving it. And he said, it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, that is to show us where we're wrong. Uh, and he's doing the x-ray of our heart and our attitude. And it doesn't leave us there. It corrects us. It tells us how to get well. For training in righteousness, uh, if you're not a Bible Christian, you'll never be able to pass on much. Uh, you'll always be telling your same testimony over and over, and we'll get tired of it after a while, and there'll be no freshness. You've got to have the Word of God working in you. It trains you in righteousness, righteous ways to live, so that the man of God, child of God, may be adequate or competent, equipped for every good work. Then look at uh, Romans, if you would. Romans 15. Romans always enriches any sermon. Verse 15, 1. Now we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not just please ourselves. That's interesting, isn't it? Weak people can drive you batty. He says they ought to drive you to ministry. Each of us is to please his neighbor for his good. Does that sound like the American ethic? No, I'm living for me. Here he says we're living for our neighbor. To his edification. For even Christ did not please himself. But as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. I came to serve by bearing the antagonism of God's enemies. I came to bear it. For whatever was written in earlier times, they didn't have the New Testament when Romans was written. The Old Testament was written for our instruction so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. And so as we see this narrative, we can see all kinds of encouragement and hope given to us. What's the scene? Jehoshaphat, uh, the son of Asa comes to the throne, was a marvelous king. His biggest mistake is he went out and he helped Ahab 
when Ahab was over the nation of Israel, the 10 northern tribes, and he went to help Ahab and nearly got killed because Ahab said, dress like me for the battle. And uh, just in time, he threw off the garment and they realized it was Jehoshaphat and they went after uh, Ahab and killed him that day. And so the prophet rebukes him later for why did you make an alliance with a wicked man? You were wrong. This happens repeatedly in the Kings and Chronicles. But he was a good man overall, sought the Lord, got rid of the high places. And so we come now here, and some ancient enemies, some kinfolks rise up against them. Uh, the Edomites happened to be the descendants of Esau. When you read Mount Seir, the, whole, the book of Obadiah was written against Edom because Edom had uh, uh, cliffs. Uh, some believe that Petra, modern-day Petra, is where the Edomites had settled, and they bragged about their fortifications. And Obadiah says, I'll cast you down, Esau. And even in the day of the Lord, according to Isaiah, God the Son, when he comes back, will visit Bozrah, the land of the Edomites, and he'll march through there and clean up that nation during the day of Armageddon. And he, when Isaiah sees him coming, he sees his garments sprinkled with blood, and he's been killing the nation of Edom. When the day of the Lord happens, you can read that, I believe that's Isaiah 63. Bozrah is also Edom. And you also have Ammonites and Moabites. Who are they? They are the two incestuous sons that were born to Lot. After Lot had got out of the city of Sodom, his two daughters got him drunk. And one night, he sleeps with one girl, and Ammon is born. And then he sleeps with another girl. The next night, they get him drunk, and they have Moab. So these are kinfolk nations that have gone away. Lot, the nephew of Abraham. These are his descendants. And then Esau, who hates Jacob, and rightfully so on a human level. You robbed me. You, you stole the blessing from me, and I'll never forgive you for it. So the, but Israel didn't go looking for this. They're minding their own business. They're behaving. And all of a sudden, they're within the city limits nearly. They're at the Dead Sea. And the Dead Sea, just south of Jerusalem, it's not very far. You probably, eh, no more than 10 miles, you're at the Dead Sea. They're down by En Gedi, uh, where all the caves are, where David hid out to hide from Saul. And they come, and he hears, a great multitude is against us. Verse 3, Jehoshaphat turns his attention to seek the Lord, and he says, I'm afraid. And so Judah gathered together to seek help from the Lord. They even came from all the cities of Judah to seek the Lord. Is it leadership to tell the people you're scared to death? You sure wouldn't want a general who said, I'm scared to death. He can never show weakness. He has to show courage. I always remember the line of Alexander Solzhenitsyn, who lived in the gulag of Russia, and he said, only one need to study history to see that the loss of courage has always signaled the end. When we lose our courage, that's why Satan roars at God's people and there are times we're overwhelmed and our courage evaporates and we are afraid. And here's Jehoshaphat. I'm afraid. I'm outnumbered where I hate it. 
We don't have the we don't have a chance in a million to survive this attack. So he calls a prayer meeting. And it wasn't hard to get them out. You know, if ISIS declared war on Contra Costa County, I wonder if you folks could make a prayer meeting. If the threat gets big enough, us lazy Americans might make a prayer meeting. When your life is in jeopardy. But see, we're a soft church. It's why Obama doesn't want us to go to war, because we like it. We're having enough problems in Afghanistan. But what will we do to stop this insanity? Who knows? But Jehoshaphat says, I'm afraid the peril is around us. I see it. I admit it. I think it's great leadership and it's a great personal development for you to admit your fears. People don't like that. They want you to act strong for them. Here's the leader. Here's the king. I'm afraid, people. Would you come together to pray? Well, you're supposed to know. You're God's man. I'm God's man who is afraid. Let's have a prayer meeting. The people come together. It's life or death prayer meeting. Now I want you to consider how he prayed his prayer. Notice what he does. It's just magnificent. First of all, he says, I know who you are. Watch this. He stands at the temple, Solomon's temple, and he prays, O Lord, O Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God of Israel, the God of our fathers, are you not God in the heavens? Number one, we didn't get here by ourselves. A former generation knew you, starting with Abraham, down through the kings. My father Asa knew you. David knew you. Solomon knew you. I'm standing on the shoulders of my fathers who knew you and told me about you. And then you're the God who occupies all the heavens. That's not too bad. We haven't got them measured yet. And he said, I know your throne is up there and that you inhabit all that unto infinity. The most important thing about you, A.W. Tozer said, is what you say when you say God. What do you think of? That is the most important thing about a man or a woman is what they think of when you say God. Would this come in mind? I know you are the great God of history and of the ages. You're the great God that inhabits the heavens. Then he goes on. Aren't you the ruler over all the kingdoms of the nations? Wait, wait. That can't include Russia. Putin is up there. He's in charge of Russia. No, 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 no. Not the God of Jehoshaphat. This God is in charge of every king. Every king. You remember when Isaiah went into the temple? He said, I see an unoccupied throne and I see an occupied one. The unoccupied one is Uzziah, after 52 years, has died. And then God says, Isaiah, let me show you the throne that's never unoccupied. Look a little higher. God was up on the throne. 
The nations are going to come. They're going to go. Putin's going to come. He's going to go. Hitler's going to come. He's going to go. All the antichrists are going to come and go. This God is never replaced. He's on the throne. He's on the throne. This is no God that takes vitamins every day. He's got more power than he's trying to find somebody that will tap it. He said, power and might are in your hand. How can this be? You're afraid, but you're saying you belong to a God that's got all the power. He said, that's right. I'm afraid about my ability. I just don't have it. But I've got a God that's got all the ability, all the power, uh, so that no one can stand against you. You know, I used to read that Romans 8, if God is for you, who could be against you? And I used to say, everybody. Just because God's for you doesn't mean folks aren't against you. But what does the verse mean? Who can prevail against you? I got a lot of folks. I got demons against me. The world's against me. This is against me. The bill collector's against me. Maybe a a weird uh, kind of cell in my body. Oh, sickness, health, problem. Uh, You say, who could be against me? You say, well, God, you you better read my mail. There's a lot against me. He said, it can't prevail. I'm the, oh, see, you folks that don't have a sovereign God are in a bad way. Your God is made out of your mind. Our God is in charge of cancer. He's in charge of death. He's in charge of life. He's in charge of nations. He's in charge of everything. This God. He's sovereign. I can't always figure out what he's up to, but what's new? I got to go to a guy to paid to get my taxes. I can't figure out the government. How you doing? There's a lot I can't figure out. I still haven't figured out why God would want to save me. I read all the verses about how bad I am, then I hear him say, by the way, I want to save you. God, that doesn't make sense. You just told me how bad I am. He said, you are. That's why I don't think you can lose it. You were so bad to start with, why would he want to lose you after he got started with you? He knew you were bad from the beginning. He knew what you'd do three months after you got saved. And you know what's amazing? When you believe in him, I think of many believers who come down with Alzheimer's and dementia. I just heard Dr. Hannah say, when he's at the side of his mother-in-law who had Alzheimer's and her mind was going, she couldn't even remember if she'd ever put faith in Jesus. And many times when people go into dementia, Alzheimer's, they'll pick up, they revert to the bad language they had before they were saved. But you know what? This justification happens in a moment, and it's not undone by Alzheimer's. It's not undone by memory loss. It's not undone by anything. God keeps whom he chooses. This is a sovereign God. I wish you knew him. If you knew him, you can get happy about him once in a while. He said, I'm praying to you. And then he said, didn't you drive out the inhabitants of this land? And, and didn't you promise us this land? You told Joshua, you told Abraham in, in Genesis 15, I give you this land. And then Joshua came along, and we went in and fought for it. We're right where you want us. Now, now do you want us here or not? Is this the land? Yeah. 
And then he goes on, we've lived in it. We built you a sanctuary. And when we dedicated the temple, Second Chronicles, uh, uh, he's quoting now Second Chronicles 6.34, should evil come upon us, the sword or judgment or pestilence or famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house, and cry to you in our distress, and you will hear and deliver us. That's what we prayed when we dedicated this temple. Now, I'm claiming you're almighty, you're all-powerful. I'm claiming I'm inheriting what you promised to Abraham, a land, a nation, and a, a king. We're, we're in your, the property. We fought with your help. And we had our temple dedicated that if we'd come here, you'd hear us if we cried for help. Now, we're, that's all we're doing, Lord. Then he prays this, verse 12. Oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we are powerless before this great multitude who are coming against us, nor do we know what to do. But our eyes are on you. What to do when you don't know what to do? Come on. You know, Elijah's servant, he went out, and and he, he just jumped back, went back in the tent. He said, was surrounded by an army because Elisha kept telling the king where the enemy armies were. And they said, we got to knock him out. This is a radar station. Because the prophet would get a word. He'd send a messenger. The army's over here. So they surround him in the night. We're going to kill him. Servant goes out, sees the place surrounded with all these troops. And Elisha comes out to help the poor servant. And he gets out of here and says, come here, son. Yeah. So let me pray for you. You've been looking too low. I want you to. Ooh, I didn't know they were there. Oh, yeah, they're there. They're there. Yeah, they've been there all this time. You see, your outlook will determine your outcome. Where you choose to look, some of you can only see problems. You never can see the Savior. I got people telling me about how many waves we've got all the time. If you look to Jesus, you can walk on water, honey. But there's some folks in the church, they think they've got the gift of telling us everything wrong with this church. Well, honey, one thing wrong with it is you. You're not walking by faith. You're not looking at what God can do, even in West County. Look up. But what we do, Peter was doing good. And then he said, i got to lower my vision. Woo, have you measured those waves? I believe the Sea of Galilee is over 150 feet deep. I could drown here. Yeah, you could have drowned five minutes ago, but you were looking at the source that can make you walk on water. Where you look will determine where you'll wind up. And so he said, I don't know what to do, but I'm going to look to you. Now, some of you are in the midst of situations right now. You don't know what to do. I've been there thousands of times. I don't know what to do. I don't have the power. I don't have the wisdom. I don't know the future. I don't know the contingencies. I'm at your mercies. Um, Let me read some things to you that Alexander McLaren, a preacher from the 1800s, 
Rich Rollins used to always kid me. He said, have you ever read anything that's contemporary? Well, I'm tired of fluff. I like to read others. McLaren said, we see here the confidence of despair. Don't you love that? In despair, I'm confident. About who? Me? God. Then he said, helplessness is always a fact. Helplessness. Though most of us manage to get along for the most part without ever discovering it. You've never discovered you really are helpless. It won't get done based on your strength. If you don't believe it, try to save a teenager. Try to change their choices. Try, try to change this one little life that you fathered and mothered, and they turn out to be a rebel, and you say, Lord, I can't change them. Only you can. Have any of you ever been there? What do you do when enemies rise up against you and you say, I can't handle my enemies, and you won't let me pack a gun? Distrust of self and glad confidence in God are not opposites. They complement one another. The man who is confident of God but despairs of himself, look at verse 20. Here's the key verse in this narrative. Not only will I look to God, but he says, put your trust in the Lord and your God will establish you. If you will trust, can you trust? Not can you do it. Not are you powerful enough. Can you trust the one that can do it? Will you trust? It's not can you, will you? Do you have a God big enough to handle your enemies? Trust him. Trust him. That's what he's saying. So he prays. Well, when you pray, God gives an answer. The reason some of you haven't got any answers, you haven't sent up any requests. He's heard you murmur, but that's not praying. Complaining is an intercessory prayer. (laughs) But when you pray in earnest and in faith, God answers. And what does he do? He sends his word. I want to send you a divine word by the prophet. And my word is going to tell you, don't be discouraged. Don't be afraid of the enemy, but trust me. And then he assures them that God has already got a battle plan of how he's going to handle the enemy. All you got to do is obey instructions, stand still, and watch God do it. Look at verse 14, 15. Then in the midst of the assembly, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Chahazriel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, if you're looking for names for your kids, here they are. The son of Madaniah, the Levite of the sons of Asaph. Listen, all Judah, listen. Do not fear or be dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours but God's. Now, this is a divine word. This is not a positive uh, thinking class. This is the prophet has been moved by the Spirit, a word from God. Now, I want to ask, is the battle the Lord's for you? Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. 
The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of stronghold. Take hold of the armor of God by which you can withstand the wiles of the devil and having done all to stand, stand, taking the sword of the Spirit and wielding it, praying for one another. Ah, we've got plenty of weaponry from God. He can protect. If the devil had his way, you'd all be dead before the day's over because he comes to kill, rob, and destroy. The devil hates all of us. I'm sorry that you get alarmed over that, but he hates you because you turn coat and let God save you. And the devil lost another soul for company for hell. What an amazing thing. Go. And then he says, I want you to stand still in verse 17. You need not fight in this battle. Station yourselves, stand, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. It is not good advertisement to have a nervous breakdown trusting God. Say, so what caused your nervous breakdown? I'm trusting God to come through. I'm a wreck. I can't stand still. We've got to fix this. We've got to do this. I can especially these planner and perfectionists. We've got, we got, got to get everything. If you would just stop, God can handle it. Well, he might forget that, you know, ooh, I made a note. God, remember that. God needs no notes. He's a warrior God. He's been fighting a long time. He's not weak. Mm-mm. This God is strong. He could just speak a word and create a universe. And they've been staggering over at Cal ever since. God, God, you can't do that. There's no God around that can do that. Yeah, our God does. He speaks universes into existence. What? You don't believe that, do you? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. Because I believe what the prophet said. I believe his word. Well, well you weren't there. I, no, I wasn't. By faith, we understand that the ages were framed by the Word of God. I just believe Him. And the reason I believe He's trustworthy about history, I trusted Him for my salvation, and I've been a changed boy. I've had a difference ever since I took Him at His Word that night and believed. Stand still. And see, and it's right, he takes that verse right out of Exodus 15 when they were crossing the rest. Stand still. It must have been something. All these people coming out of the Exodus and nobody owned a sword. They were shepherds. Stand still. Watch. <sighs> Go across. Folks, we got old folks. We got, we got 80-year-old Jewish women here. Don't worry. I'll give them strength and I'll make the bottom of the Red Sea turned into solid ground, and it'd go back to mud when I get the Egyptians because I want to drown them real quick. Now, they have never taught this at West Point. How do you dry up seas? <laughs> and how you just, shoom. Our God, don't insult him. The battles of your life are so small to him. He's just saying, if you trust me, you can just stand still. I say, uh, we used to sing, I'm standing on the promises which cannot fail. Well, he does that, and he tells them, 
You don't need to fight. Jehoshaphat, verse 18, he bows his head. The Lord said what he's going to do through the prophet. Now they give instruction to all those that are the Levites and the priests, and he tells them to praise the Lord God of Israel with a very loud voice. It's biblical to be loud in praise. I wish you'd whisper murmuring, but be loud in praise. They rose early in the morning. They went out where God told them, Listen to me, O Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Put your trust in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Put your trust in his prophets, that's his word, and you will succeed. Then watch. When he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who sang to the Lord and those who praised him in holy attire, and go out singing this. Give thanks to the Lord. This is giving thanks in the middle of your problem. For his loving kindness is everlasting. When they began singing and praising the Lord, God set ambushes against the sons of Ammon, Moab, Mount Seir, and the enemy were routed. They were in danger. They were, uh, it was over. Let me just summarize. Your God is bigger than any problem you'll ever have. Your God is bigger than your enemies. Your God. Now, if he's the God of the Bible, now maybe I'm, if you've got God you made, he may not be able to handle this. But the God of the Bible can. Uh, I hear psalms that go like this. When I am afraid, I will trust in you. In God's word, I praise. In God, I trust. I will not be afraid. What can mortal man do to me? Or Psalms 27, 14, wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Or 28, 6, praise be to the Lord, for he's heard my cry for mercy. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him, and I am helped. My heart leaps for joy, and I will give thanks to him in song. The Lord gives strength to his people. The Lord blesses his people with peace. I, I wonder if they may have sang Psalm 3 that I'm going to play for you shortly. Uh, it's a psalm that Brook and Tab sings, and we're going to give you a sample of it. But this, this is the psalm they're singing. Oh, Lord, how my adversaries have increased. Many are rising up against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no deliverance for him in God. <laughs> Don't tell me you're trusting this God. Your husband just left you. Your kids are going wild. Your employers laid you off. The medical report is bad. Your God has abandoned you, Job. Where is your God when your children died? Where is your God when trouble comes in like a mighty force and all that's going on is heartbreak and a troubled heart? Where is God? And the devil will be there. Where is your help? Your God hasn't shown up, has he? He's forgot about you. Could you imagine Ted and Claudia, 39 years ago, brought a boy from the hospital, 
and the devil could be there. You got a boy with spinal bifida that you're going to take care of for 24 hours a day, for seven days a week, for 39 years. Where was your God in the womb? He's the same place he was on one dark Friday when his son was nailed to a cross. It's not over. The Jewish day always started at night. And we're living through the night, but the morning's coming, hon. The morning's coming. You may be in the night of your affliction, but morning's coming. Morning's coming. And they said, many are saying to my soul, there is no deliverance for him in God, but you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory, and the one who lifts my head. At the music retreat, worship ministry, I played some songs. We have a sister in our choir. I forget how many children Layla has. Three. She gets the message. Is going to refuge over there. Ron Johnson gets the message. Your husband won't be coming home. He's killed. Auto accident. Left her. Young woman, three children. Do you think the enemy showed up? I think of my own daughter being close to her with all the pain that uh, when she blows out her back, moving a woman as a nurse, looking like he's going to lose her career. And then in the midst of this, she's scheduled for surgery. She gets pregnant, and the family wanted to choke her and Jason. So the last thing you need is a baby. And she told me on this first song I want to play for you, she was recouping for months, depression, pain, strong drugs. And have you ever been in the midst of the valley when you didn't know what to say? You said the spirit helps our infirmity, for sometimes all we can do is groan. And sometimes God just wants us to sing a song, maybe, and he'll do the ambushing. I what someone, if some of you would quit listening to secular uh, music, bad music, you might get an encouraging word once in a while. If you get that filthy rap and all that junk out of your ears and get something out, well, are you pumping anything in? You know, I backslid over music because I love dances, rock and roll, blues, and all that. The very 50s night we celebrated, that was my God at one time. And I finally weaned myself, and I started listening to the song of the redeemed, and it started infusing strength. My daughter and others, when they've been in the trial, and you don't know what to pray, listen to what the sister says she's saying. We're going to play it. Something about the name of Jesus. There's power in the name of Jesus. There's healing in that name. There's victory in the name of Jesus. All you need to do is just call on his name. In your time of trouble, just reach out and say the name, the sweet name of Jesus. Say the name of Jesus. You're too sick to do anything else. Just say the name. Of Jesus. 
You can sing that on a sick bed and let God fight your battle. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do with this child. I don't know what to do with this circumstance. The enemy's too great. He's come in like a flood. All I can do is stand and watch you work, God. But in the meantime, I'll say the name. And then... This is Brook and Tab does Psalms 3. Many are they who rise against me, and they say of me, there is no help in your God. You fool. And then the psalmist says, but my shield is the Lord, the lifter up of my head. I want you to get a sample of it to see how the enemy can be ambushed. You know what? That's right. There's nothing like a worshiping congregation. Some of you stare, and you don't know whether you want to sing or not, and you don't know how to sing, but you don't even try. I tell you, I've been in many a meeting, nothing but the song service ambushed the devil. When people are praising God, anyhow, when people are praising God, anyhow, you would be amazed at how the enemy is defeated and courage comes into your spirit. Listen to this. Many say of me, there's no help in God. Psalms 3. Sound man. 
are they who rise up against me? They've even said, There is no help in God. No help. You're my shield. The lifter up. may be in the battle right now. He said, sing songs to the Lord, and he can ambush the enemy. Sing songs that sing the word. You know what's wonderful about singing? If you can learn to sing, they say when you take the uh, printed page and you sing, it uses both sides of the brain. That's why singing little courses that have scripture in it, they help you. Now, I've got to play a final song for you. Uh, you and the battle. Uh, when Rose Burton was dying of leukemia, her boy flew out from Michigan, and I got a hold of him. I said, Carolyn, I would like to see Rose. She was very isolated during that time uh, at a son up in Vacaville. And he said, I'll bring her down to her place. I'll meet you there. Carolyn and I went there. It was the last time we saw Rose, and she only had uh, a week or two to live. And uh, describing, she said, Pastor, let me tell you what I've been doing for years. And I said, well, what's that? She said, every morning while I'm in bed. She said, over 10 years I've done, while I'm in bed, I get dressed before I start the day. Well, I figured she's got leukemia uh, and the disease. Maybe she's too weak, you know, put on her clothes. And I said, Okay. She said, this is what I do. I, in the morning, I'll say, I'm going to put on the shoes of the gospel. <laughs> then she said, I'll take the breastplate of righteousness, and i put it on. This while I'm in bed. Then i pick up the shield of faith. i put on the helmet of salvation. i gird my loins with truth. 
She said, I, do, I go through that every morning. And then she says, when I get fully dressed in my armor, I say, now, Lord, let me put on the nine characteristics of the fruit. Let me walk with love, joy, and peace. She said, I never get out of bed until I go through that. I do that every morning. I said, Rose, I never knew. No wonder you're such a magnificent woman. You know how to dress. <laughs> you know, some of folks just get up, I dress with another cranky attitude. I got up, you know, they, someone said, uh, but, uh, did you wake up grumbling? Or did you wake up grumbler? Said, no, I let him sleep in. <laughs> what do you get dressed in in the morning? Now, I got to make a confession. My wife, every once in a while, reverts to our Pentecostal days. I, I, we want to ask your forgiveness. <laughs> she shouts at the house. I just got to buy her tambourine. She never knew how to play it, though. We get happy at home. We don't have you around criticizing what we're doing. We pay the rent, so we praise God any way we want. And I, I look over at Carolyn. She'll be in the kitchen. Hallelujah. I said, whoa, you're reverting, honey. What's happened to you? She said, I feel it. And she's not talking about James Brown. I said, what do you feel? She said, I feel the presence of God. I feel the pre Now, we play this song many a morning. I usually play it on Sunday morning because I'm going to battle. And uh, I'm going to ask you as we get ready, if you're in a battle for your life, I wish you would hear Shirley Caesar sing this and you'd learn to dress for the battle. Put on Shirley. She preaches a little bit. Get over it, folks. You better enjoy it. Come on, let these white folks hear. Tell me what did you put on this morning? Come on. White folks, this way clap. Army. 
I want to know who's in a battle 
that's bigger than you and you need God's help. Just raise your hand. Father, we as Holy Ghost soldiers are saying you put us on assignment in a wicked world. And the enemy outnumbers us if we just had the visible eye. But today we take the breastplate of righteousness. Christ is our righteousness. We take the word of God, which is the sword of the spirit, and we walk by means of the Holy Spirit. And you have already said you're going to win. Read Revelation. You will win. This thing, we will reign forever. The nations will be ground to dust at the feet of our Lord and Savior. And we shall sit on thrones forever, ruling with Christ. Let us every day get dressed in the armor of the Lord and help these in their battle to know the Lord has all the wisdom, all the power, and all the strength they need to get over whatever they're facing right now we claim it in our captain's name, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the church, and amen. I want you to shake hands with somebody and say, I'm going to put on the armor this week. You're dismissed. Put on the armor.